Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the trees. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, second Saturday of the month. So we are talking trees. Gary Peterson, branch manager of Save a Trees in studio with us. Welcome back, sir. How you doing, boss? Very well. And I understand uh, Save a Tree, they've got you pretty busy around the Southwest. A little bit, a little bit. I think um, I spent a lot of time in July in Utah, Lehigh, and Park City. Great place to visit. Well, as a arborist and a tree care provider, that's much better time to be there than when a lot of other people are going there in the snow to ski. <laughs> Roger that. <laughs> that's not the time you want to be messing with those branches. Not at all. And, you know, there's there's places in uh, Park City that still got snow this time of the year <laughs> up on some of them peaks. So uh, a lot of history there, the Olympics, things like that. But uh, it's amazing. You can go to Park City and then go down to Lehigh, and it's a 70-degree temperature change in 35 miles. Ooh, yeah, that's that's it, really quick. It's crazy <laughs> transition. It's about you know ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes, depending on traffic, from you know Phoenix to Flagstaff. Right, but we, I, that's nowhere near a thirty-five mile transition time. No, it's, it, I mean you go straight down the hill. How's that? Is it a big switchback? Oh, very big, very big. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the biggest one I've ever seen. Burn your brakes up coming down it. <laughs> exactly. Well, it was a rental car, so that's their problem. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, why don't you introduce your uh, guest that you brought in studio with you and uh, before we get to our tree of the month. It was funny. I was going through some of uh, Mr. Eisenhower's notes for this year, and um, it said, you know, possible future guests. And uh, a name popped up, and the name was Scott Calabrese. And uh, I grabbed Scotty a couple weeks ago and said, hey, what are you thinking, man? Scott's been in the green industry about 10 years um, started out with John in the plant and healthcare sector. Now he's a certified arborist. So he's, he's been a busy, busy man. Uh, Scott's married, got a two-year-old daughter, and building a house up in New River, right? That's correct. All right. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you. Heck of a time to be building a house, but we won't, we won't detract from that. <laughs> it's a touchy subject. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, it, it is a touchy subject for everyone building a house right now. I've got some rodeo friends who... Uh, under the premise that they were going to be in their new house within six months sold, it's two years, and they're just not getting concrete. <laughs> oh, I've been fortunate then because it, it took a year for the permitting process, but after that, um, I'm about eight months in, and I'm getting drywall tomorrow. Oh, wonderful. Very good. Congrats. Well, Thank trees you. grow slower, but they're sure easier to maintain and, and take care of once established. Roger that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, talk to us about our tree of the month. Okay, so the tree we're talking about today is the Cordia boasiri, commonly known as the Texas olive. Um, this tree, it's a beautiful tree. You'll see two-inch white flowers all, almost all year round. It's from spring to late fall, um, really big green leaves. It's, it's pretty fascinating if you, uh, if you touch the leaf. It almost appears like you can finish off a piece of wood. That's how rough it is because it's very hairy, hairy, uh, hairy structures on it. The the Texas olive is beautiful. It's you know low water use, 
it's not a big tree. The spread on it is about 15 feet by 15 feet. It could be multi-trunk, single trunk. Um, it does attract butterflies and hummingbirds, so a lot of people are into that. Um, low water use. Do you guys? What do you guys think? You have any questions for me? I, um, I I did a little bit of research myself um, and just kind of highlighted some sections of the research that I did. What stuck out in my mind, um, as far as pruning them goes, uh, it says rarely and you only prune it to shape. You can have multiple trunks. Um, it did well during the frost of January 17th of 2007. Um, and the fruit is not tasty but very edible. <laughs> So I'm going to add to that. You're Have right. at it, brother. So uh, frost, you won't see frost affect this tree until uh, 25 degrees. So it, it is frost hardy, and the fruit is is disgusting, as I've heard. So don't try to eat it. It does look like an olive, and it can be messy. But it's uh, overall, it's a great patio tree. So it doesn't get very big, but you know it's very showy in the sense that the it's got these big five inch green leaves um and the flowers are two inches long and all year round almost and it, it also says that uh in phoenix it's going to get the 15 feet height and width probably no bigger than that so that's pretty easy to manage well and a lot of your hoas that are built in tight quarters where you may not have a big uh gap between backyard and block walls now that seems to me like a much better alternative than like a italian cypress those just bug me in the desert for whatever reason even though they come from like the mediterranean and in a similar <laughs> setting just out here in arizona just feels like such a misplaced is like if you ran into buckingham palace and <laughs> arizona's like this is yeah, so wrong <laughs> but what did that, that tree do to you come on <laughs> confess <laughs> but, but texas olive would be a great alternative to something like that if you were looking for a little rose screen or we're in tight quarters absolutely and i agree with you with the italian cypress those All things right. <laughs> we have so many problems out here with them so um, a Texas olive would be the way to go. You can't really put them in the same category, <laughs> but uh, both beautiful. No, but that's so many people use that uh, Italian cypress as a default in a narrow area. So I'm always trying to find something to recommend as, instead of that. And, and people don't like to do oleanders anymore. We've seen a lot of those get taken out over the years. That's correct. Well, the pet-friendly part of the oleanders kind of you know scares people big time. And that's what I was going to add to it too. It's you know, if if your dog or pet uh, eats one of the so-called olives, the fruit of it, it's it's not going to affect them. It's going to taste bad. Same with the leaves, um, unlike the oleander. Right. And so, how when when we're talking fifteen feet in height, how long does it take to reach maturity? So it's a very slow growing tree. So it's it can take years to get to that. And I've never seen one that tall. I let me take that back. I've only seen very few that tall or that wide. Um, these they're they're very beautiful trees, and you're looking at for a f a fully grown Texas olive, you eight years to get to that size. And you, and, but a lot of times people will prune them to shape or clearance, you know, that they have to meet. It talks about in my notes that um, that I highlighted. It says small multiple trunk tree. What do they mean by that? 
so uh, all trees you have a a single leader most trees like if you take Italian cypress they have uh, a single leader and then they have lateral branches coming off of it uh, Texas olive they can have multiple coming from the base mm. understood and do you have to plant multiple trees at one time to make it multi trunk no you do not so it would just be your selection from the nursery whether it was a single plant single trunk in the box or a double trunk that is correct yes yes and this tree is going to bloom twice a year from what this is telling me it says uh phoenix texas olives produces uh during spring and then they have a secondary bloom after monsoon yes yes but you will also see them um with flowers basically through the summer as well i like flowers they're decorative and there's a lot in Arizona that won't have color all the way through the summertime, whereas this will, you're saying. That's correct. Yeah. Very cool. Well, on the archive page of today's radio broadcast, you can get a link to the corporate extensions office that Save a Tree had forwarded a huge, was this like seven pages of resources about the tree you can dive into deeper. Uh, and one uh, thing that we want to cover as we're transitioning from the tree of the month to our tree care and Gary, I know we've kind of beat this to death the last couple months, but I mean, we're in the middle of the monsoons right now. We're probably have a handful of listeners, if not more, with some broken over branches in the out of the trees, maybe oh, yeah. even some uprooted ones. We're having some some wind and oil, uh, soil saturation uh, that's caused some trees to blow completely over that we're dealing with, or maybe the roots weren't deep enough from the wa right. improper watering system. Let's just do a little monsoon yard cleanup. I was talking to um, one of the arborist assistants, Terry, um, I don't know, the day before yesterday, <clears throat> and I was asking her, I said, you know, what kind of, what kind of storm damage calls are we getting? Um, because I always want to monitor that because we, we pride ourselves around pruning trees and letting the wind blow through them and not at them. You just want to make sure the calls aren't your customers. These are That's new customers. That's exactly <laughs> where I was going with it. I said, you know, do, do we have any customers that we've pruned the trees religiously with the trees blowing down? She goes, no, not actually. Uh, we've had one or two, but probably out of the 200 calls that I've gotten in the last 10 days, I had one. And... Um, that's why you got to prune your trees. Uh, it, it, yes, it costs money. Yes, it does. But when it blows over on your house, your car, your satellite dish, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the and other not thing, just prune them, but prune them right. Exactly. You know, no more than thirty percent. Um, like we were talking about when uh, I think Matt was here. Um, you want to look at how the tree's moving. Is this is the whole tree moving, or is it just blowing through it? You know, can you stand on the other side of the tree, feel a little bit of wind, things like that. Um, the other thing that, uh, and Scott brought this to my attention this morning, he's got a photo of a tree that was struck by lightning. Yeah. And this palm is just a blaze. Um, so keep your eye on that too. You know, your palms, you should have trimmed them four or five weeks ago. Well, now all that dead stuff that's hanging off of them, if they get hit, they go up like a torch. So you're going to have to show me that picture on break. Oh, I will. <laughs> we, we might even have to get that one on the archive page. I think a few listeners would like to see that. We're talking trees with Save a Tree, and we've got a lot of things still on the talking points coming up for your monthly tree tips. We're going to be talking about the fan palms, um, irrigation timers, and uh, preventing. This is a big one because you see this a lot on the, the blow-and-go crews, but 
uh, avoiding any kind of trunk damage with, you know, your mowers and more importantly, your trimmers and your weed eaters as you're uh, out there taking care of all the new sprouts and, and weeds that are popping up. and Multi-trunks. <laughs> Multi-trunks, exactly. Talking trees here at Rosie on the house. And during the break, uh, we were looking at this picture of a palm tree burning up from a lightning strike. It didn't even look real. I thought it was a Photoshop. No, it was 100% real. And the hazard it presented was, I mean, the fire department was out there. I was out there the next day, and it was still smelt burnt. There was... What does burnt palm tree smell like? It's not good, I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Lightning protection isn't something common here from the east coast it is there was a hazard presented after that because we didn't know structurally what was going on you know how are we going to get this tree down safely and unfortunately we didn't have crane access we have a lift and the lift can only go up approximately 60 feet well this 60 this palm was about 80 feet tall mexican fan palm how we derived doing it is um, we had the lift go up as high as it can, and we notched it out and just let it fall. And I'm so glad that I did that because you could stick your finger right through the inside of the palm. It was completely fried. I mean, there was no structural holding wood with that palm tree. It was insane. And then from there, you just brought the lift down every eight feet or so and cut it off. That is correct. And we made it a little bit smaller because we were, we didn't want to hurt the sidewalk and there was irrigation around, but um, it just... That first cut, you just didn't have an option. No. And, you know, and I'm glad that I made that call because, it, you know, other guys, why aren't you climbing it? Why don't you get the crane out there? You know, and <laughs> you know, safety-wise, it would have been a mess. Tall palm tree owners, beware. <laughs> beware. Keep them trimmed. And on that, uh, we've got a talking point to make sure they're trimmed before seeds start to drop. When when do we start to see seed drop? Generally, June 1st, June 15th at palm trees. You've got the, the green palms that come out, of course. And then you've got this brown part that sags. And they've got little sacks on them. Seed and pods. Seed pods. That's the best way to put it. I got an arborist with me. <laughs> um, he's not just a pretty face. No, he's one. not. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, a lot of people will trim their palm trees before they see the seed pod, and the tree looks great. And then a week later, them seed pods come out, and then you've got a whole mess. So you want them to come out. Once they're all the way out, cut them. And if you cut them too early, you're going to have them come right back. Or you're paying a second Correct. time. And they did bloom a little earlier this this year, but it's still it's patience is a virtue, Gary. Yeah. And those are a mess, especially if they get into the pools. Yeah. And, I mean, those little tiny beads, hundreds of them, uh, filling up the filter and, and clogging everything, they are uh, n- not not something I'll ever own just because uh, the there was a handful of them by the pool at my parents' house growing up. And, mm-hmm. of course, you know, Dad's at work, and I've got to take care of it and clean it. And I'm, and when, when he cut those down, I was so happy. And I'll never have a one of those types of palm trees again. <laughs> and then pool cleaners at the bottom of the pool, the vacuums, those things aren't cheap. No. And they'll eat them up. They really will. I'm like my fourth one in 20 years. So yeah. That'll do it. It will. It will. So that's palm trees. And anything else we need to know? I mean, we, that's a specific type of palm, but there's a lot of other, uh, you know, like smaller palms or queen palms around the valley. Any, any particular care this time of year while we're on the palm topic? 
Mexican fan palms and California fan palms do pretty well here. It's the queen palms that you, honestly, I believe they will be extinct in the state of Arizona at some point. Um, it was just too hot for them. So you make sure that you're fertilizing them, giving them adequate water, deep water, letting them dry out. Uh, a lot of people are fertilizing and, or say, watering every day for five minutes. You shouldn't be doing that. You should have a deep water for, you know, several hours and then letting it dry out before you water again. That's the biggest, that's a key to queen queen palm survival. I know. In planting, I had a conversation with somebody at one point and said, if you're really sold on it, you got to dig it out and put a lot of sand in because when you see them on the beaches and in the more tropic areas they're not in the clays like we have they're in a sandier area so put a big bed of that down but you know you can't just put straight sand you got to mix it with native and it's it just becomes more work i mean you have to really 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 love a a queen palm to mess with what it really takes absolutely and and like you said you have to mix it with native soil Um, they like well drainage so if if you don't and you say you fill that hole with sand and then put the uh, queen palm in in that sand, you can create a soil interface. And as those roots expand and get into the native soil, the water might not um, reach that native soil. And there goes your queen palm. So one more thing that you have to do. I really don't recommend queen palms to anybody. Um, but there are other alternatives that you can use or if you like the fronds. Very good. We're talking trees with our arborist crew from Save a Tree. we got Gary Peterson, branch manager, and Scott Calbrizi, the certified arborist. And you said you're, you're 10 years in with the green industry? That is correct. And how long did it take once you got started to work up to earning your ar- ar- arborist certification? So, well, three years is... Um, the minimum you can take the the arborist exam through the ISA, but um, I started with a landscape company approximately about ten years ago, and I was spraying weeds. And then I met um, another arborist of ours, Sarah Maitland, and she kind of took me under the, her wing. And from there, the tools that she gave me were unbelievable. To you know, there's so much ability to learn in this field. It'll never stop. As go the roots, so go the shoots. Absolutely. Thank you for joining Rosie on the house with you this Saturday morning. I certainly have noticed all my trees on my property have been enjoying the monsoon rains. Hopefully yours are as well with no sustained damage or at least uh, damage that's non-repairable uh, or will grow out of. We've got our arborist crew in from Save a Tree, branch manager Gary Peterson and Scott Calbrizi, certified arborist. It's funny you had mentioned Sarah Maitland going into the bottom of the hour news break because plant health care is our next topic. And she has been on with us a number of times with her specialty in that and and especially as it relates to certain chemical applications 
she made me what I am today. So I'm very, very happy with that and proud to have her for so many years. I tell you, it wasn't easy at sometimes. <laughs> and definitely very knowledgeable and has taught me a lot. <laughs> Talked about some of that passion that Miss Sarah has. She's amazing at what she does. She is the, um, I call her a plethora of knowledge because there's nothing I can't ask her about a tree or a plant. It's just what she does. She lives it. So plant health care is... At Save a Tree, we have a an amazing plant healthcare team. We specialize in you know, sustainability. Um, you know, things need nutrients. You, I, we all need nutrients. And unfortunately, in Arizona, uh, we tend to mow, blow, and go a lot of our nutrients. So we substitute that through fertilizing. And there's there's and. Elaborate on that for a minute, because that is uh, something that is very predominant. And it, we've got this idea that we've got to have everything uh, neat and mowed and, and picked up. And it reverses the natural cycle of, of what the tree is trying to do. Absolutely. I mean, so that's organic matter that can be broken down and used in nutrients. Um, unfortunately, we tend to take away a lot of that nutrients so we substitute through liquid formulas granular formulas uh, and just providing nutrients that the trees need throughout the year that otherwise would have naturally composted over the year of buildup of growth of tree and branch uh decay right on top of the native soil and then of course you get other other sources of nitrogen from bird droppings that come sure. into the trees and uh, animals that live underneath it and uh, the the worms that come into the soil and just everything that that happens, but we take it all away and then expect the tree to thrive. <laughs> yep, and there's no what we call hummus in the soil, that dark layer of organic matter. And you're 100% about that. And even certain pods have nitrogen bacteria that actually give nitrogen back to the trees and we take all of that away so it's very important to fertilize your trees um i mean a lot of times fertilizing a tree can keep a tree healthy enough to sustain through excessive monsoon seasons there's so many benefits to it and when you're talking fertilizers you guys aren't doing you've mentioned it a few times you're not talking the granular fertilizer that most of us do it yourselfers would apply you're talking inline drip system that I really, uh, and you know, the more, the more I, I, I'm saving my pennies, man. I'm, I'm going to get there one day. <laughs> you should. We could help you. Okay. <laughs> Scott. So, no, yeah. You can help me save pennies? Or when I've got them saved, you can help me install it. <laughs> well, do you have any citrus on your? I do. Uh, well, I'll save you pennies from going to the grocery store because of how many fruit you'll have. Citrus, uh -huh. citrus fertilizer swap. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, each, so there's a science behind it. And you have to gear your fertilizer to the needs of the trees. Um, a lot of times we're not trying to push growth on desert adapted or native species. We're trying to just encourage health, you know, lower your nitrogen level level and push more of a, you know, a water retention or root enhancing so you can retain water, for example. Now on a citrus tree, you want to push that nitrogen. Um, overall, there's a lot of energy that is involved in making fruit and 
you know, it needs that nutrients to survive and thrive. And to get, you know, to kind of pigtail off of what, Cott, or what Scott started with, uh, he mentioned the word science. Save a tree is always going to use science, whether we test the soil, test, test the, the leaves. We want to see what the picture is. They know what the tree is supposed to look like, um, but you just can't go out and put this magic elixir on it because you don't know what elixir you need. We can tailor it to what the tree needs, what the bush needs, what the plant needs. Um, and we're always going to do that no matter what. Um, if, if I come to your house and you go, hey, I just want some nitrogen put on it, I'm still going to go, hey, let me run a couple tests. It's on me, and then let's make a plan from there. All of our lawn programs were required to run a right. nutrient test prior to um, giving the lawn program. You just don't know what, what it needs, for example. And same with trees. As a, an arborist in this area, you know that we may have high alkaline soils. You, you might have a general idea of what each one needs, but you know you always want to run a test, whether that's disease, nutrients, um, just to confirm that you're doing what's best for your tree. Absolutely. And the <clears throat> desert does look pretty flat. I mean, you can look out and see mountains in any direction, and in between it looks pretty flat. But if you really walked out where there's no development, there's a lot of terrain that happens. The water all has to drain off somehow. And over the years of you know rain and, and natural cycles, there's a lot of soil structures throughout. So you may think that, hey, I'm on a flat development, but you may not know that, well, okay, yeah, but it was a farmland for 100 years before it was developed. Right. And underneath it, you've got all kinds of soil that's been to turned and torn, turned and turned and um, it, it wasn't compacted or that when this community went in and they leveled everything off well your spot was right under you know 20 feet underneath you is where the wash not only used to be but still is you just can't see it it's underground right so, and it can change that soil structure from you know one house to the next it doesn't seem like that looking out over the top but it, it can be very different absolutely and to go further into that the, the microclimates too can there's definitely difference you could uh, uh, a tree here versus a tree 10 feet away from me. This one, uh, the one that's closest to me, could have some type of shade from a house or, um, you know, something years ago that it's much more sandy here than it is 10 feet away. So it, it's important to use that science to determine what each tree needs. And with that, what do you say we talk about the pathogen of Texas root rot? In doing a little research, that um, that's that's probably one of the biggest issues as far as funguses go with Arizona roots. Maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> I would say it's second to second. Okay. Phytophthora, but we can talk about that another time. Have at it. Tell me about Texas root rot, Scotty. Uh, so Texas root rot is a fungus that lives in our soil, um, and there's no cure for Texas root rot. So no matter what you do, if your tree, um, if you you have to get it diagnosed to know for sure. But if if your tree becomes a positive for Texas root rot, the only thing you can do is take it down and replant with a resistant or an immune tree. And the only true immune trees, I should say, are palm trees. Believe it or not. But there are, and you can check on the uh, U of A website, there are resistant trees, and there's a, a beautiful list. 
Now, you said your only option is to replace it. But, I mean, could you dig out enough dirt or maybe solarize it uh, for a couple years and kill it off and then replant? Or are you just completely you're, you're downriver? Down. <laughs> you're downriver. The problem is is you when you see this dis- disease affect the tree, chances are it's too late. It's a very fast, rapid decline. And like, for example, I will get a call from a customer and say, hey, what's wrong with my tree? A, w- a week later, more than half of this tree is in decline. And one of the the signs that you'll see is that it retains a lot of its dead leaves. So that's that's an indicator that, oh, man, I need to get this tested. It's died rapidly. It's retained a lot of its dead leaves. Now, with what you said, no, unfortunately, there's no way you could change the pH of the soil in that surrounding area to replant with, say, the same type of tree, for example. So how do you prevent this from infecting your trees? Great question. So definitely... Texas root rot favors alkaline, low organic soils. So adding fertilizer to the soil is one way to help. Now, it's there's no guarantee. Okay, um, that is one way to help. We there are experiments out that out there that if Texas root rot is caught early enough, um, buffering the pH or lowering the pH can help. But anything you read will tell you no, that'll never work. So that's where the importance of of fertilizing, again, with the organic matter, because Texas root rot favors um, inorganic, high alkaline soils. So just good maintenance and good watering. And going through some of my notes, um, I I, I like to highlight things. I'm kind of a bullet point kind of guy. Um, It says here that um, when you see the death the passing of the tree, the plant, however you want to put that, it's usually you're really going to notice that between May and, th- and September. At higher elevations, plants may not wilt suddenly but die slower. So anything above 3,600 feet, it's going to take longer to, to do. Um, it says the fungus may kill one plant two or three years after the initial um, happening. Um and I've, I've just got wrote, do soil tests, do soil tests on every bullet point that I've got on this page. Uh, we've got a complete list of um, examples of plants that are immune to uh, uh, this root disease. Uh, i throw a couple off. Palms, you mentioned that. Aloe. Um, yuccas. I couldn't believe that one was on there. Tulips can't get it. Um, and I'll give you the full list if you guys want to put them out. I got it right here. <laughs> well, <laughs> tulips we'll, can't get it. We'll let the uh, reader go. I'll be. Okay. We'll add that that resource link as well to the archive page, and people can scroll through there should they just be curious enough. Absolutely. And a quick Google search of U of A Texas root rot, that will pop right up. I'm a, I'm sure that's what Gary did. That's exactly <laughs> what I did. <laughs> The corporate extension office has a plethora of resources. In fact, we actually had last week uh, in our outdoor living hour one of uh, Dr. Silvertooth, who does a lot of soil science. Al, I'm sorry, and 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 what's his specialist? Anagon. 
I'd have to look it back up. Agritonomy is agri- some, uh, ana- anatomy. Look at, <laughs> look at the podcast from last week, folks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fascinating. So. Climate and soil. I was enjoying so, that. Could you keep trying? <laughs> uh, let's just say I got it right until someone can prove me wrong. <laughs> I'm calling Eisenhower right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are. Our final segment of Talking Trees coming up. Continuing our conversation with Gary Peterson and Scott Calbreeze, we've got uh, one thing that I mentioned going into the bottom of the hour that we never hit in the last segment was being careful with our lawn equipment near our trees. Absolutely. So we see a lot of mowers, um, weed whackers. They hit the base of these trees. They cause damage. Damage can lead to infection, um, lead to so many things. One of the the best things you can do is maybe create like a ring around the tree um, and mulch it. I mean, you're giving it organic matter at that point, as well as, you know, keeping your landscaper away from the base of the tree causing damage. That's huge. I was reading something the other day and kind of in line with what you're just talking about, about spraying herbicides near base of trees, but avoid spraying it on the trunks. Why would we want to do that? So... You, you want to be careful because you don't want it to translocate through the trees and you want to get it directly on the turf. Basically, you, you want to use a contact to kill the turf on the top area around it. it. That said is you're creating that well. So you kill that turf around the base of the tree, then you create a, that well around it to keep the landscape tools away from it. Sure, kind of straight to the root ball too, right? Yeah. Okay. That transition from where the trunk bark enters the soil, that's a pretty delicate area. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it kind of goes back into what we first talked about too, but we we call that the tree flare. And the importance of it, it there's um, depth can be an issue, but, you know, going back into if, if that is affected by some type of tools, I mean, that can stop movement into the tree. It can cause disease. So it's very important. Give it a, an environment where the tools are not going to be a burden to this tree. On a mature tree, we talk about never trimming more than a third off. Well, if you look at that, what's left after you cut that branch, that, what, what do you call that, the knot that's left over? Okay, the branch bark, ridge branch collar. Okay. What he said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's say you calculate how many square inches that is on 30% of a tree if we need to cut that much off. You take that amount of square inch of of openness and you put that on the flare of the tree, it would die. You know, you've got, you know, the branch out here, a lot of individual branches, but that square inch around that flare is very small in comparison. You'd be surprised how many trees that I find that are buried way too deep that we've got to do what we call a root collar we'll have to dig all that out and you'll get a big root that's actually choking the tree out because the tree's too low and i saw a picture of one that sarah had they literally had to dig an eight foot hole circumference out around this tree to get it right i was just amazed i was like wow that's a lot of dirt that's a lot of dirt (laughs) (laughs) right 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 and you know it's very important to to have somebody plant the tree correctly because when i see a tree that's too deep I know that 
or I assume that they did not gently pull apart the root ball. What happens is these trees um, grow inside these boxes. They hit the side, and they just start to circle around, and then they just throw them in these holes. Um, and, and a deep tree is a good indicator of that because if they if they miss that step, they probably missed it all. But it's important to know that because it's it's just like you said, what we're performing is a root collar excavation uh, was to try to fix that. A tree that's planted correctly can withstand monsoons much greater than a tree that has not been. Uh, well, we got uh, we got some Christmas stuff coming up, right? You got that two year old daughter of yours, second Christmas, third Christmas, third Christmas. Yeah. You gonna put some lights up at the house? Yeah, absolutely. We are. We're going to use Save a Tree. Uh, we yeah. do light. Talk to me about that, Scott. Well, we, we do lights. We do canopy wraps, trunk wraps, do roof lines. If you have an idea, we could make that happen. Scheduling-wise, I mean, I know it seems funny to talk about that in August, but you got the cruise, you got to get the lights. Absolutely. If you would like for us to do your decor lights this year and you want custom lawn ornaments, give us a call now so we can get those ordered in. Roof lights, tree wraps, canopies. Give us a call now so we have a heads up. We want to try to get that in by September. Yeah, most of our uh, HOAs that we deal with are actually, they started that process a couple weeks ago. So, yeah. Well, and you don't have to start using them yet. You can wait till after Thanksgiving. Just because they're there, you don't have to turn them on. We'll design them before we even show up. And if I remember right, after the season's over, you'll actually wrap them up, take them back and store them for the homeowner. But those are their lights for next year. Yes, sir. We've got a couple community events coming up. We do, we do. Um, Arizona Community Tree Council up in Payson, they've got a two-day event, September 16th and 17th. They're going to run over pest management and tree care for birds and wildlife. And I don't mean to correct you, Payson or Prescott? Because their annual conference is usually Prescott. Prescott. (laughs) It is Prescott, my fault. I always mix the two up. I don't know why. Well, they're both about the same elevation, (laughs) and they both Both have... Both begin with P. That's my problem. (laughs) And they both have rodeos that they tout. Payson says, well, ours started before Prescott's, but there was a couple-year period Payson's didn't have it. So Prescott's is where the oldest continuous rodeo. So, so there's a they're, thing. They're like constantly competing for that oldest rodeo. So it, it is easy to get mixed up. But coming up in Prescott. It's in Prescott, and it says Prescott, and I still said it. <laughs> um, and then at the Renaissance over in Glendale, Arizona Nursery Association on August 26th is having a horticulture uh, meeting from 7.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., in its shade, which stands for Southwest Horticulture Annual Day of Education. And if you are a certified arborist or there's a number of different uh, certifications through uh, sustainability in the landscape industry and architecture, you get all your CMUs, you can plow through a lot in that one day to keep your certification current. And even a general public can go buy a ticket and sign up for a few classes. Sure. A lot in there to learn, and they usually have a great exhibit booth that uh, is open up as well. We've Absolutely. got uh, we've got all five of ours going to both events. Wonderful. You saw you yeah. last year there at the Prescott. I, I I try never miss them. Not pace. R- rodeo, my rodeo schedule has deterred that uh, the last couple of years, but I, I I usually don't miss those. If you need a certified arborist, you can go to Save a Tree S A V A T R E E dot com and uh, schedule online.